0: Hello, everyone. And welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Alicia here. Great to have you with me. And it is time for a bit of an update show. Lots has been going on. So I want to try and give you a quick update of what's happened kind of late last year, early this year, as we uh, cross the holiday season. Hope you've been enjoying the content over that holiday period as well. So the first new change is for Amazon Route 53. Now, Amazon Route 53 is our DNS service and DNS is kind of like the fundamental piece of the internet that makes it all working. So there is now an auto naming API for service name management and discovery. Now, what is this useful for? Well, microservices are all the rage. Lots of people building applications using a microservices architecture, which brings many benefits like the ability to release quickly, smaller, more management components, etc. However, uh, it can be hard to discover these services and map between them, etc. So there's now a new API that's part of the Amazon Route 53 API, which allows you to manage DNS names and health checks for microservices that run on top of AWS when they scale up and down. So previously, you may have uh, built your own custom scripts to control the DNS records and health checks, or you may have used some third-party software. Now this is all abstracted away, and you can use a set of APIs to do that for you. Basically, when a new service instance is registered, you can access it by just making a DNS query for the service name and then Route 53 will give you a multi-value answer routing type. So you get up to eight records in each response to a DNS query. You can also define a health check for the service as well. And so this will make sure that Route 53 only returns the records that are healthy or the endpoints that are healthy, I should say. And you can also check the health status of your endpoints as well. Now, this is available in US East North Virginia, US East Ohio, US West Oregon, and EU Island regions at the moment. Link in the show notes, the documentation, but this is a very handy thing that might help you get Get rid of some uh, maybe some custom coding you've done in the past. Now, the Amazon Elasticsearch team have been hard at work uh, on that particular service because it is a really popular service with customers because it's, let's face it, a great set of tooling for analyzing, reporting, and looking at data. So, what are some of the updates? Well, Elasticsearch 6 is now available on Amazon Elasticsearch service, so that includes Elasticsearch 6 and Kibana 6.0. Love a major release. So what are some of the new things that you get? Uh, you get improved efficiency of sparse fields. You get reduced disk consumption. You get index sorting and faster query times. Better query resource management. Kibana uh, 6 accessibility improvements, including uh, better uh, handling for people with color blindness, which is a good thing because uh, there's a lot of color in those interfaces. And there's actually a new experimental Kibana query language called Query with a K, Uh, because we need another query language out there. So this is uh, specifically to make it easier to do searches in Kibana. So I'm actually quite looking forward to getting my hands on that because I've always found that a bit tricky. The other uh, couple of really interesting things is firstly, you can make much bigger Amazon Elasticsearch clusters now. You can in fact run petabyte scale clusters using the i3 instances, which are now supported. In fact, you can now store up to 1.5 petabytes, that's with a P, of data in a single Elasticsearch cluster. So this is really good for those really large, long, log analytical type workloads. Um, because in an i3 instance, you can store up to 15 terabytes of data in each node. And what we find compared to the previous I2 instances is a three times increase in indexing throughput, so way better performance, and less than 50% of the cost of the previous generation instances. So we always like it when the instances get bigger and the performance gets better and the price goes down. Um, a 1.5 petabyte. Elasticsearch cluster, that's uh, that's something I'd like to see. That's pretty interesting amount of data there. So that's available now, so uh, you can go as big as you like. The other big thing is that encryption at rest is now available also on the Amazon Elasticsearch service. This means you can encrypt your data using keys that you manage through the AWS Key Management Service, and it becomes a transparent process. So the encryption... Uh, happens at the Elasticsearch service level, and all the data stored on the underlying file systems are encrypted. This includes primary and replica indices, log files, memory swap files, and the automated Amazon S3 snapshots as well. Um, the service handles the encryption and decryption seamlessly, so no application changes and more security, which is always a good thing, so the team have done pretty well. Now, speaking of data, if you manage data on-premises, uh, you may use the AWS Storage Gateway, which helps you get data up and into Amazon S3 uh, using a very familiar file type interface. Now, there are some new capabilities with this service that are really important. Firstly, there are now upload notifications. So this means you can get a notification via CloudWatch events when a new file is uploaded to Amazon S3. Now, this is really useful to trigger in-cloud or on-premises automated workflows. So for example, uh, a file upload could take place and you may call an API to start a data processing job using you know, Amazon Athena or invoke a Lambda function or do something. Um, you may also want to tell uh, remote offices that they need to refresh their cache because a particular file has been updated. So you can imagine this type of uh, capability really offers a raft of automation options. The file gateway can now also infer the MIME type of an uploaded document by file name. So what this means is you can now Browse using a web browser, uh, a file from Amazon S3 directly or from CloudFront, and you can see it in its native file format, which means you don't have to download it to then render it, which is just a nice usability thing. A few other new features, are things like uh, SUSE Linux Enterprise Clients, forced deletion of file shares, and a whole bunch of performance improvements. So make sure you get the latest and greatest version because that's a really good update there. So let's shift gears and talk monitoring for a moment. So the uh, Amazon CloudWatch team has been hard at work for our customers, building some cool new and there's a raft of them. Some of them are very small, but uh, it's often the small ones that are the most useful. One that I'm really excited about is you can now alert when any M out of N metric data points in an interval are above your threshold. So this is really useful when you're trying to manage uh, those metrics that you know, sometimes trigger, then trigger down, etc. And you sort of don't want to have a just a binary type state where it's either Triggered or not triggered, you want to say, well, you know what? If three out of five measure- measurements uh, exceed a particular threshold, then it's an alarm, et cetera. Otherwise, keep it okay. Um, this, as you can imagine, gives you lots of options in terms of how you tune your use case, how you remove false positives, etc. And this you know, depends a lot about your application and the monitoring you're doing. However, this gives you some really cool flexibility to do this. So this is a, a really interesting um, capability links in the show notes, it's kind of hard to explain. It's one of those ones you want to read. Um, But yeah, it's M out of N metric data point measurement, which is really, really nice. Now, speaking of uh, CloudWatch, there's also visualization. So uh, some new visualization options where you can zoom and pan into the data that you're looking at. So you can get into shorter time periods and then pan across the graph to see the periods you're looking at. So just a nice usability feature there. There's also a new new leaderboard capability for all the graph metrics when you hover over the graph. So you can see um, all the metrics and the values in the order they appear at a selected time as well. So some nice tweaks there. Also, uh, Amazon CloudWatch Events now supports AWS CodeBuild as an event target. So you can imagine that you could create an event in Amazon CloudWatch Events that then kicks off a CodeBuild process of some description. So this is all about automation and making things happen automatically, which is how we want to be. And the last change is Amazon CloudWatch Logs now supports KMS encryption. So you can now encrypt your logs using keys managed through the AWS Key Management Service, KMS, and a customer master key, CMK. Uh, Basically, it's enabled at the log group level, and it takes care of all the encryption for you, which is really, really nice. And that's available now in all AWS public regions. The other thing that's happened in the CloudWatch space is there is a new Amazon CloudWatch agent, which is unified. Um, basically, it runs in the cloud and on premises, on Linux and Windows, uh, handles metrics and log files. You can deploy it using the AWS systems manager, run command, or SSM state manager, or from the CLI, lots of different things. Um, the nice thing is it's a cross platform, cross environment. Uh, Agent, runs on 64-bit Linux, 64-bit Windows, uh, includes HTTP proxy server support, very configurable, um, plugs straight into CloudWatch really nicely, supports one-minute metrics and also the one-second high-resolution metrics as well. Uh, does a whole lot of really nice things. So there's a great blog post that, um, that Jeff's written about how to deploy this, so I'll let you have a read of that in the show notes, but it's really, really nice as well. Now, what about AWS CloudTrail? Very closely allied to CloudWatch is CloudTrail, which obviously looks at your event history and what's been going on. You can now use AWS CloudTrail event history to view, search, and download the last 90 days of your account activity. So basically we've increased the amount of data from seven days to 90 days, which is great. And there's also now a customizable display for that event history. So you can see the information that's important to you in a much easier way. So this becomes available immediately and you can take advantage of that straight away. And speaking of automation, two of the uh, really uh, interesting services around containerization are Amazon ECS and AWS Fargate. Of course, AWS Fargate was uh, announced in the most recent uh, reInvent conference. Um, Now, AWS Code Pipeline supports deployments to both ECS and Fargate, which means you can create a really nice continuous delivery pipeline for container-based applications. So if you haven't played with AWS Code Pipeline, it really allows you to string together all the components of what the building, testing, and delivery of code would look like in an orchestrated fashion in a very reliable and low-cost way. So you can now send uh, those particular artifacts to Amazon ECS or AWS Fargate, depending on your use case, and take advantage of that all that good automation. And speaking of automation, sometimes it's nice to automate the things that happen within the services you use, and this is uh, the case with Amazon AppStream 2.0. So the AppStream 2.0 agent is software that runs on your streaming instances and enables application streaming. Now, before, if you wanted to update the agent, it was included with a new base image release that were provided by AWS. And so you had to rebuild your images using the new base images. Now you don't have to do that. You can actually enable your images to always use the latest version of the AppStream 2.0 agent. So this means you can always have the latest features, the best performance, the best security without having to rebuild your agent. All you need to do is create a new image from the December 7th, 2017 base image or any base image after that date. When you create that new image, the always use latest agent version is, the option of that is selected by default. When this is selected, you'll always get the latest version. So it's a really nice uh, way to stay up to date. Obviously you can opt out of that if particularly for, for your particular use case, you don't want to do that. But in most cases, people will probably switch that on. The other change to Amazon AppStream 2.0 is it now supports tagging to track your resources. We all know that tags are a wonderful thing to see what's going on in your environment. You can now tag your uh, image builders, images, fleets, and stacks, which means you can use it for billing. You can tie things to departments, to projects, to applications, or use cases, etc. And uh, tags have a key and a corresponding value. And of course, you can have up to 50 tags per AppStream 2.0 resource. Now a couple of usability uh, capabilities in the sort of directory and security space. Uh, you can now apply Amazon Cloud Directory schema changes with an in-place schema upgrade. So now when you're making a change, the directories will now be available whilst any backward compatible schema changes are being applied. So for example, if you're adding a new field, everything will be up to date. Uh, this means you don't have to do migration between instances, etc. You can still let things run uh, as you go. So this is a no-charge uh Uh, capability that's included in the service. Speaking of which, uh, for AWS Organizations, you can now use the AWS Organizations console to remove accounts from your organization more easily. So in the past you may have had to interact with AWS support to do this, you no longer have to do this. The accounts you remove can become standalone accounts and operate independently, or be invited to join other organisations as well. So for example, if you had someone that was part of your organisation from an account perspective, because they're doing some third party work, and then they've completed that work, you can now remove them from that organisation as well yourself, which is nice. Another new security capability is something called AWS Single Sign-On. Now this is a cloud single sign-on service that makes it easy to centrally manage SSO access to multiple AWS accounts and business applications. So you can sign in to a user portal using your existing corporate credentials and get all your assigned accounts and applications from one place. So this makes it really easy to manage your permissions and you can do this from AWS organizations centrally. Uh, you can also create a security assertion markup language or SAML 2.0 integrations and plug those into any of your SAML enabled applications as well. There are some built-in integrations already, things like Salesforce, Box, Office 365, so you can get up and running very, very quickly. Now, this is currently available in US East, but it's worth having a look at to see how it fits your particular use case, whether it's something you want to consider in the future. Now, something else that might be useful to you if you're a Amazon EFS user, so that's the Elastic File System, and you're used to moving big amounts of data from on-premises into the EFS location of your choice, uh, the EFS File Sync is available now in two additional AWS regions, Asia-Pacific Sydney and EU Frankfurt. Now, this provides you with a much quicker way to move data across. In fact, what we find is it's actually five times, or up to, I should say, five times faster than the standard Linux copy tools. Now, we all know that waiting for data to copy is not the most exciting thing in the world. So if you need to copy data into EFS, the EFS file sync is something you should probably look at because it may save you up to five times of your time. So you can go do something Far more interesting. So we've been talking about data and um, automation. Let's talk about budgets. In fact, AWS budgets. Now, AWS budgets gives you the ability to set custom budgets that alert you when cost and usage exceed or are forecasted to exceed your user-defined thresholds. So this is really handy to monitor your total monthly cost, refine your budget, see what things are costing across particular dimensions, etc. Now you can now uh, use more advanced filtering capabilities to easily see the particular cost categories you're interested in in your particular budget. So these include things like credits, refunds, upfront reservation fees, recurring reservation charges, AWS support charges, subscription costs, and taxes. So for example, you may wanna choose to track your EC2 instance hours and S3 storage and data transfer but exclude one-time costs like an upfront reservation fee or your support fees. So a lot more flexibility there. If you haven't used or had a look at AWS budgets, uh, it may be a really good fit if you're trying to provide some sort of showback or just want to track what your spend is looking like. So we haven't talked databases today, so let's do that. Big change for Amazon RDS for Postgres. Uh, it now supports the R4, T2, and M4 instance types, which are really handy instance types for different use cases. So the R4s are the latest generation of their memory-optimized ones. So these are really useful for really memory-intensive and latency-sensitive database-type workloads because you can get between 15 gig and 488 gig of DDR4 memory and two to 64 vCPUs. It also supports enhanced networking as well. Uh, The T2 instances give you more low-cost, burstable CPU performance. So they're really useful for consistent baseline CPU performance with the ability to spike from time to time. So test and dev is the typical example of where T2 fits. And then, of course, we have the M4 instances, which is our balance of compute, memory, and network resources, Uh, anything from up to 256 gig of memory to 64 vCPUs. Uh, it also includes the elastic network adapter, uh, enhanced networking, so you get really good throughput as well. So that's a good general use case one. So this is all for the Amazon RDS for Postgres uh, support, which is a very popular database out there. Now, what else can we talk about data? Well, let's talk about uh, some new support in Amazon EMR, Elastic MapReduce. It now supports Apache Spark 2.2.1, also SageMaker integration and Apache Hive 2.3.2. One of the nice things about EMR is it allows you to keep up to date with the latest and greatest toys and fun, cool things that exist in the uh, big data space. And so you can get things up and running really, really quick. And of course, Amazon SageMaker, which is a really nice fully managed service where you can build, train, and deploy your machine learning models, now allows you to interact that into the EMR process as well really, really easily. So a nice update there. That's Amazon EMR release 5.11.0. An update that came out just after Christmas, so across the holiday period, so you probably might not have seen unless you're looking really closely, is that Amazon ECS now has an ELB health check grace period. So this is really useful because it allows you to have a grace period to prevent premature shutdown of a newly instantiated task. So in the past, if it took a long time for a task to start, the ELB health check might say, oh, that's an unhealthy task and shut it down. And then you get in this weird state where you're shutting down something that didn't start up. Now you can ignore ELB health checks for a predefined time period after a task has been instantiated. So a small change, but a useful one. And another team that was hard at work for our customers uh, over the Christmas time and the holiday period was our AWS Direct Connect team. And AWS Direct Connect is obviously a really useful uh, capability for customers who want to create a dedicated network connection from their on-premises environment into AWS. This helps them reduce the network costs, increased throughput, and gives them a more consistent network experience. Now, there are 10 new Direct Connect locations uh, that were added in December um, that offer both 1 gig and 10 gig connectivity. If you need less than 1 gig, there are also partner-supplied options for that as well. So let me run through the list. Uh, There's a new one in Bangalore, India, which plugs into Asia-Pacific, Mumbai. Uh, Cape Town, South Africa. Johannesburg, South Africa. London, UK. Miami, Florida. Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm going to massacre this. Ningxia, China. Two of them there. Uh, one in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, and, of course, one in Tokyo, Japan. So these are all new ones. You can see the full list on the Direct Connect website, including the partners who offer them, so you can see which locations they're in and which regions they connect to as well. But 10 new ones there, so lots of cool connectivity options for you as well. Now, another new uh, thing that's out there is somewhat related to the podcast, which is there is a new AWS Alexa Skill uh, to give you the latest launch announcements from AWS. So I may be being replaced by a robot. <laughs> Somehow I don't think that Alexa has exactly the same, uh, I don't know, uh, sensibilities that I have. Um, but, uh, it's actually a really good tool. I've been beta testing this and it is a new, t- uh, skill that's available to uh, let you see what's new, what's going on in the blog, et cetera. You can filter by particular um, categories you're interested in. You can customize a skill to hear only about your favorite services, et cetera. Um, provides you up-to-date news. And you can just ask things like, you know, Alexa, ask AWS, what's launched at reInvent, et cetera. Um, this is currently available in the US, um, but we release more broadly as well. So you can see how to enable it in your Alexa-enabled device. And speaking of uh, content and podcast and all that good stuff, uh, one of my colleagues, in fact, an old colleague of mine, John Rottenstein, who works in our education division, has done his traditional excellent work on creating a podcast feed with audio versions of all the 2017 reInvent presentations. Link in the show notes, it has a list of all the sessions with links to YouTube, SlideShare and audio versions. And you can also link it into iTunes as well. Uh, John does a great job putting this together. It's a really handy resource because there is so much good content to keep up to date with. And this is a great way to get it in one easily packaged place. So I'll be farming it throughout the year myself as well. But great work, John. Uh, Awesome work for our customers. I know that people look forward to this each and every year. So it is available and the links are in the show notes as well. And I have not done a black belt tip for a long time. So here comes a black belt tip. Hooray. Uh, so let's think about a bit of a problem domain that we have. Often um, we use the AWS CLI and there's lots of information that gets put on the screen when we're doing stuff and that kind of opens you up to the old-fashioned shoulder-surfing attack when you're typing commands, particularly with specific sensitive parameters, maybe passwords, et cetera. Now, one of the things you can do is you can put your parameter values in a file and lock them down with operating system permissions. Because in the AWS CLI, you have the option to read data in from file colon forward forward slash or file B colon forward forward slash for binary input. So this means you can pull data in really easily without exposing it to anyone by using a file file name. Now, that's one way of doing it. Of course, if you want to be more sophisticated or using really sensitive stuff like passwords, a better solution could be to use our old friend, the EC2 parameter store. So you can use a secure string parameter, which is encrypted with the KMS key. So that's even more secure. So there are two ways you can do this. And I'll have both links in the show notes so you can have a look at this black belt tip. You should not be typing or exposing passwords or sensitive credentials in the command line whilst you're doing stuff. Uh, because that does open you up to an attack uh, from a shoulder surfing perspective. So this way you can have really secure access to things whilst using the CLI. So there we have it, a bit of an update. I hope you're enjoying 2018 and I look forward to sharing many more episodes of the ADFS podcast with you over that time. Please do share it with others. Let people know it's out there on a variety of pod catching platforms and casting platforms, etc. If there are ones that we're not on, um, please drop us an email. We'll try and get onto as many as we can. Some of them are curated. We can't get onto all of them, uh, but I get us onto the ones that we can get onto as ever, we do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com. Give us a rating on your various podcatcher that you use as well. And as always, keep on building.